Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And folks, today we are rewinding exactly one episode less than we did yesterday to episode 284, originally published September 25th, 2009, uh, 20 Simple Steps to More Independence. This was uh, a really great episode when it came out. It, it, it had a really uh, a great deal of positive feedback. It's still when I'm in the car, so the audio is not that great. It's uh, it's not a tremendously long episode. The original episode was a total of 46 minutes and 14 seconds long, including the housekeeping segments, as we called them at the time. Uh, but I, I think it was really laid out in a, a really simple way to learn skill sets, is what it really came out to. Some of it was more action items, like the first one was buying an ounce of silver a month and how that could affect your life. But a lot of the other stuff involved developing a very basic skill and then using it on a regular basis. And over the years, that evolved into a major theme of the show was skill set development. So that you could be someone who knew how to do things versus always depending on someone else to do them for you, which that's kind of like the whole nature of self-reliance now, isn't it? Uh, where today we think of like a self-reliant young man as someone that gets a job and can pay his own bills, where, you know, back in the days of our fathers and our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers, well, that was just like everybody. Like self-reliant, man, you could fix shit and do stuff. And, you know, you could kind of be like the modern renaissance man. You could you could do uh, a whole host of things, but certainly you could feed yourself. Uh, you could do things like uh, use firearms, maybe reload ammunition, some of the stuff that we're talking about here. Uh, identify wild plants, maybe make some a little bit of wine or mead, stuff like that. And a lot of these things turned into wholesale subjects as the the community grew and the show grew. I mean, going back to 2009, about this time, we're probably looking at a community of about 10,000, which at that point was a success beyond my wildest dreams. There's another thing going on at this time in the show. Uh, if you think about the date being September 25th, pretty much September's almost over at this point. So you've got October, November, December left in the year. And do you know what happened that January the 2nd? That January the 2nd, I did the first show where I was able to come on the air and say thank you so much for helping me grow the show to where in 2010 I walked away from my other businesses and I took this show full time. And when I think about that now, I still have this feeling, this unbelievable feeling of gratitude to you guys who were with me early on. And, and what blows me away is hearing from you guys still today. Man, I found you back in like episode 13. Your audio sucked, but your, your stuff was cool. It kicked ass. It was different. And they're still here. You're still with us. That means so much to me. And it's partly why, you know, I usually take a vacation a year. I, I usually do some rewinds throughout the year, and maybe I'll take two days off to go hunting. That's not really a vacation. Or I'll take a few days off to go speak at an event or something like that. But, you know, you build a lifestyle business so you can live the life you want. 
And I, you know, I, I really look at it sometimes and think, you know, I should, I should take two vacations a year. I can afford it. And I, I damn won't work hard enough for it. But I have a dedication to this audience that goes back to like this period of the show and realizing without you guys, I couldn't have any of this. So not only did I want to introduce this show today being about these 20 steps, but just a hearty, warm thank you to all of you who have done so much to support me and my work, whether that be by being MSB members, doing your Amazon shopping through T-SPAS, or just listening and telling others about the show and helping us grow. You know, the other thing was going, we're still really heavy behind the listener appreciation contest, which was if you tell other people about the show and put your name in a form, there'll be a prize. I'm going to tell you, when I get back from vacation, it's about time that we re reamplify that spirit and do that again. And I'm going to be able to do a lot cooler stuff than give away an engraved iPod like we did with the first listener appreciation contest for you. But, you know, if you've been with us a long time, a lot of the stuff you may have heard before, but I think as we go through it, you might think, you know what, I've never done that, maybe I should. And then many of you are pretty new to the show, and like you're, you're new to the show, and this jerkles off on vacation, right? But, man, if you're trying to figure out, like, where do I start? This show isn't a start, but it's a great place to start with some simple steps that will lead you to more independence, self-sufficiency, and personal liberty. And over nine years, that's what this show's been all about, independence, self-sufficiency, and personal liberty. With that, let's go ahead on back, September 25, 2009, episode 284, 20 Simple Steps to More Independence. Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went you can scream and you can holler it really doesn't hi folks this is jack spirko with another edition of survival podcast as always one man's view of the changing world the changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't dictate it a bit differently today i am at my home office It is very early in the morning for me to be recording, but I have to run to a camera shop at the, at the exact point it opens and then run way out today instead of Frisco. I gotta go to Saxe and I gotta film a guy playing golf, uh, for a product that my actual company is putting together. And, uh, with that said, um, I didn't want to leave you without a show today. And if I recorded it in the mobile studio today and, um, did it on the road, I would have never got it published in time, uh, for you guys to hear it today. It would have been published Monday, right, or Friday night, which isn't really good for a daily show. So I don't want to leave you without, so that's why I made the sacrifice, got out of bed earlier, kind of crunched things into my day, and let's rock on with a great show today. And with that, let's get on to the topic of today's show. You know, whenever I do a show that's about, you know, how to think or um, politics or uh, something about the economy and what's going on with it and understanding it, or anything like that, I often get people saying, I wish you would do more practical shows about what I can do. So I decided to give you a show today 100% practical about things you can do. Can't say there's nothing economic or political in it, but it's minimal. And what I've actually done is I've put together a list of 20 simple steps that you can do uh, to create greater independence, self-sufficiency, and awareness in your life. Okay, I can't be any more practical than that. 
Uh, some of this stuff is economic. Some of this stuff is gardening related. Some of this stuff is food related. Some of this stuff is tactically related. And there's even one that's just a little bit political. In fact, it's a lot political, but it's only one. Now, here's the key about today's show. None of you out there could ever say, I can't do at least half of these things. Now, I don't think you can do half of these things in the next week. I don't think you should try to do half of these things in the next week. But I'm going to tell you, out of the 20, I know you can do 10. Most of you can probably do all 20 if you really want to. So, my challenge for you, in the next week or month, you choose, pick a certain number of them, be it 1 or 6 or 3 or 5, your number, and Commit to getting them done. You want practical, you want stuff you can do, I'm giving you stuff you can do. So let's get on with it, let's discuss each one a little bit. Here's an easy one for the first one. How about for the rest of your life you buy one ounce of silver a month? Now there's a lot of ways you can do this. You can go down to your local coin shop and buy a silver eagle. Uh, you can buy four silver quarters, pre-1964 silver junk quarters. You can buy silver rounds from our sponsor, Tea Party Silver. You can do it however you want. You can go every six months and buy six ounces at a time. Uh, right now, silver's down a little bit. Maybe it's a good time to buy. I'm not a financial advisor, but, hey, when things come down in price, that's the time to buy them, right? Uh, but I think that if you start doing this now, you'll be surprised at how good it'll feel three or four years from now when you're sitting on 36 to 48 ounces of silver. And I have a sneaking suspicion if you commit to one ounce a month, you'll have more than that. I actually believe that long-term, the dollar is doomed. Uh, it might not be doomed into the oblivion of nothingness, but it is doomed as a form of currency that we can rely on and count on in our futures. Because our government and our Federal Reserve are willingly and intentionally destroying it. You can see it every day in the actions that they're taking. The world itself is really clamoring now about getting away from the dollar as a reserve currency. We're acting just like the Weimar Republic in Germany. It's probably a good idea for you to do more than an ounce of silver a month. But if you do that, at least you'll have something. The worst thing that will happen is you'll hand down a bunch of really cool silver coins and some wealth to your kids. Uh, you'll be able to do it physically if you really want to. You'll be able to set it up in individual physical uh, components. If you have multiple heirs, you'll be able to handle it, hand it to them. You'll be able to do that if you want to, and no one will even have to know it happened, including our illustrious government, and you can just basically make it like leaving a gun behind for your kids. That's the worst thing that can happen by doing this. That's why I think you should do it. Number two. Uh, it's going to sound a lot different. It is a lot different, but I'm going to try to be very varied today. Very varied. Um, build a compost bin or build a worm farm. I'm going to be doing a video, hopefully this weekend, if the weather holds like it looks like it's going to do now, uh, of how to build a three-part compost bin out of three 32-gallon trash cans, a cheap uh, 10-foot section of pipe with holes in it, and a drill. So I'm going to be doing a video on that for the Members Support Brigade. That's a video I'm going to make available to non-members for a fee, so you'll be, it'll be adding more to the value of the Members Support Brigade. Um, but it doesn't have to be that complicated. Go get yourself uh, eight used tires, and uh, you have uh, rotational compost bins right there. Uh, get nine and do three stacks of three, what have you. Just throw stuff in them and let it break down. Uh, you can do it with wood pallets. Go find some uh, wood pallets uh, that are laying around from stores. Ask if you can have them. Uh, wire four wood pallets together. You have a compost bin. You get the idea, folks. Compost is pretty simple. You put a bunch of organic matter in there, and it breaks down. 
Uh, you can buy an expensive worm bin, or you can go out and buy some rubber-made tubs, put some holes in them. Plenty of videos on YouTube of exactly how to build worm farms. And uh, you can begin to break down your waste with worms and create fertilizer to use for your garden. Um, why is this important? It's not just about the fertilizer production. It's about learning to deal with your own waste. If we ever have a real shit hit the fan, I think one of the things that people never think about is guess what's not going to happen? The garbage truck's not going to come take your garbage away two times a week. The next time you have garbage day, I want you to stand there and I want you to look at the garbage. And uh, I want you, if you do it twice a week, if you take garbage out, I want you to double the, the garbage you're looking at in your head. And then I want you to multiply it by four in your head. And then I want you to double it again. That's what your front yard would look like after 60 days of shit hit the fan. If you don't figure out how to start dealing with some portion of your own waste. This is a real survival topic. And, and it's a great topic because it has multiple uses. One, you're producing fertilizer. Two, you're preparing to deal with the situation uh, in, on a better footing than uh, most of the people around you will. What are you going to do with all that garbage? If the shit hits the fan, you need to think about that. The nice thing is, all of the little consumer goods and packagings and stuff like that, they won't be there. So if you're dealing with the organic waste, um, then maybe you have some tin cans and stuff like that to try to figure out how to re-engineer and use for something else. But a lot of that waste that you're producing won't be there, and then the organic waste is taken care of. Um, the next one is, uh, plant a few permanent producers around your home. I've said this many times, but I'm going to say it again today. Go out and buy yourself some blackberry bushes or some grapevines or a fruit tree or a blueberry bush or any a persimmon tree. I don't care what it is, folks. You get the plum. Uh, I don't care. I want you to plant something soon that will be there five years and still be producing for you. And all you have to do is water it and get it established. And once it's established, it's going to go on its own. You live in an apartment, find a place you can plant one. Find a vacant lot. Go ahead and plant some blackberry bushes in a vacant lot. Stop by once every other day and give them some water and keep them alive. Find a community garden. See if you can find a community garden and say, hey, you know what would be cool? Uh, what if we could put a couple trees in here on the south side of this thing that aren't going to shade the crops? Can we put some trees, some bushes, some, uh, some grapevines? Can we put some permanent crops into this mix? Bring that to your community garden if you don't have a piece of land. One way or another, I want you to get some permanent producers in the ground. Remember what we can do if we replaced one in ten ornamental trees and shrubs, shrubs in America. One in ten with something edible. We do that, we can change the fact that America is now a net importer of food, which is 10%. That's all it would take. I want you to start with yourself, though. Don't worry about your neighbor's um, you know, non-fruit producing pair. Worry about your own. The next one is I want folks out there, especially now if you already have 60 days or more of food put together, this is probably not that big of a project that you need to worry about. But if you're getting started with food storage, you know, start small, but get something put together uh, that will be both usable in your home and highly portable and you can take it with you. So what I want you to do is I want you to go out and get yourself one of those seven-gallon Rubbermaid tubs. And I want you to fill it up with food that will store well for at least uh, six months. But I want you to do all things that you're willing to eat. All things that you probably eat anyway. If your kids eat SpaghettiOs, fine. Put SpaghettiOs in the tub. If nobody in your house eats SpaghettiOs, don't put them in there. If you're one of these people that's kind of weird and you like Spam, throw some Spam in there. If you don't like Spam, don't put Spam in there. Put food that you'll eat in there. 
Um, a lot of the little various mixes of different rice and noodles, great quick side dishes, good idea to put that in there. If you make white rice or brown rice out of a bag routinely, uh, put that in there. If you don't, don't put it in there. You get the point. Eat what you store, store what you eat. Start with one seven-gallon tub. Work over two to three to four weeks and get it full to the top of items that you use. Every time from that point on that you need an item that's in that tub that's not in your pantry, go to the tub, pull it out, put it on your list for the grocery store next week. Start with that seven and a half gallon tub. That's going to be a hell of a lot more when it's full. I don't care what you fill it with. It will be more than the stupid 72 hours the government says you're supposed to have. And it'll be there, it'll be a start, and it'll lead you to that big rotational pantry and that 90-day or greater food supply eventually. But get to that point if you're not there now. And then the good news is, if all else fails and you have to leave, at least you have one tub of food. And when you get one tub, you know what to do. Get a second tub. If you have one tub, then take my action item and make getting a second tub your action item. But I want everybody that listens to this show to have at least some reserve source of food. You never know when you're going to need it. We prepare for the unexpected, and that doesn't mean that we'll know before it happens. I think a lot of people will, well, if we ever get to a point where I really think it's going to happen, then I'll go do it then. Uh, You don't know. It could happen tomorrow. So get moving. Get at least one seven-gallon Rubbermaid tub. It'll cost you. I think they're selling pretty daggone cheap right now at Home Depot and Lowe's and things like that because uh, a lot of people are going into summer stores, so they have them on sale. And it'll cost you the price of the food. And, folks, you're going to buy the food anyway. Remember, I didn't say out and go, go out and buy a case of MREs. I said go out and buy food that you're going to eat, that your kids eat, and have it available. You don't know where you're going to put it? Shove it under a bed, folks. There's room in every house, every apartment, for one seven-gallon tub of food. you got to have at least that. You want to do it with a five-gallon bucket? That's okay, too. I've just become a real big fan of the tubs for commonly used foods that are being stored for six months or less. Um, next one. Here's the political one. I want you to go find out what committees your congressman is on. Go look up your congressperson and find out what committees that they sit on. Are they a chairman of any committee or do they sit on any committee? Almost every congressperson, even the most junior among them, is at least sitting on several committees. These are committees that deal with legislation before they go to the floor for debate and decide whether they're going to be there in the first place. And I want you to find something that your congressman is doing. Whether you like them or hate them, I don't care. I want you to find something that's in committee, and I want you to call them and bitch about it before it's news. I don't want you to call them about the health care debate. Well, I do want you to call them about the health care debate if that's important to you. But I want you to find something that's not in the news. I want you to inform yourself beyond Fox, CNN, and MSNBC. I don't care if you're liberal or conservative. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. I don't care if you're, you know, you're a, a, a political agnostic. It doesn't matter. I want you to find out who the Congress clown that works for you is. I want you to find out what he's doing. And I guarantee you, no matter what your political belief is, no matter what his political belief is, he's involved in something going forward you don't want because they all are. Call him on it. Even if it doesn't stop it, it's going to make you feel empowered. It's going to make you feel good. It's something that I believe you need to do. And notice, I'm talking politics a little bit here, but I'm not telling you what to think, 
how to think or even what issue to think about. I'm telling you to find something that matters to you. I'm telling you to find something that the guy that works for you is doing that you don't like. And I'm telling you to call him up and tell him to cut it the hell out because he works for you. He serves you. He doesn't rule over you. And I want you to feel that for yourself, even if it doesn't change the political tide, because it'll change your mind and the way you think and the way you allow yourself to be pushed into a, 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 a way where you're, you view yourself almost as a victim. I want you self-sufficient. I want you independent. And part of that is telling the people that think they're in charge of you to go screw. So here's what I'm saying, cutting the chase short. I don't care if you love your congressman. I want you to find something he's doing you don't like. I guarantee it's there. And when you find it, I want you to call him up, and I want you to politely tell him to go screw, that you don't want it in your life. And if you do that, you're going to create greater independence. The next thing I want you to do, hey, you want to go different right away? You want to go back to practical preparations? You want to go back to things that aren't political? Fine. I want you to go out, and I want you to learn about six wild edibles that grow in your area. Just six, a half a dozen. Now, there's a great YouTube channel called Eat the Weeds. You can go to YouTube and put in Eat the Weeds, all one word, and you'll find the guy's channel. Um, if you just start looking at all the different plants he has, don't even watch the videos at first. Just look at all the plants he has, and then start Googling those plant names and find their range. Well, find six of them that are in your area. It doesn't matter which six they are. Then watch the videos on those six. I guarantee you anywhere in the United States anyway, I know we have some international listeners, so you might have to find a different resource, but anywhere in the United States, that guy has at least six plants that are in your area. Once you know what those plants look like, you know what their uses are, um, you know how to find them, and you know how to identify them, I want you to go out and try to find them in your area. Try to find them growing somewhere. Go out and buy a book on plants that are in, you know, native to your area. Do whatever it takes, but find just six plants that are native to your area. And then take one more step. Go out and dig one or two of them up, bring them home, and try to cultivate them in your own backyard and start using them. This will give you a skill set of foraging and knowledge in an area of where these things are. Look, folks, if we ever do have a real shit hit the fan and you need to go out and forage and you need to find some blackberry bushes, you need to know where they are now. If you're going to rely on chickweed, you need to know where a field that produces lots of it is now. You don't need to be going out when we're in dire straits trying to find it. That's not the way to be. That's the way of the ostrich. That's the way of the sheep. That is the way of the unprepared. You're supposed to be prepared. So don't worry about what Bear Gryllis or Les Stroud is eating when they're in the wilds of the desert because you don't live there. You live wherever you live. Your little suburban, urban, or rural area. So you go out now, today, and find six edible plants for your area. Learn where they're growing, and don't stop at just six. That's just the starting point. And do try to cultivate them, because the thing is, if you're able to cultivate things that grow native in your area, you won't have to worry about fertilizer. You won't have to worry about pests. You give a little tiny bit of TLC to something that grows wild all by its own, and it'll go absolutely nuts. And you'll learn about that plant. You'll learn about its likes and dislikes. Who knows? Maybe you'll even begin to shape it and improve it through selective breeding. That's how most of the things that are in our gardens today got there in the first place. One idea for you is see if you can find miner's lettuce in your area. That's a great crop to bring home and cultivate. Uh, let's go on from there. 
Next thing I think you might want to consider is learn how to make wine or mead. Notice I did not say beer. Wine and mead are actually a lot easier to make than beer. They're a lot more forgiving. And the reason I'm staying with wine and beer today is if you can make wine, or wine and mead today, if you can make wine or mead, you'll be able to really quickly switch and start making beer. The reason I say to start with wine or mead is if the shit hits the fan, you'll probably still be able to figure out how to produce or get your hands with barter on some honey. Uh, if you know how to make wine, any fruit, all of a sudden you're looking and going, I can make wine out of that, I can make wine out of that. Uh, muscadine grapes, I can make wine out of those. Plums, plum wine. Apple, apple wine. You get the point. Blackberry, blackberry wine. Hmm, apple and blackberry wine. You know, apple and blackberries and honey. Now I'm going to make uh, a melamal, right, which is a fruit mead. So having that skill of being able to make wine and or mead gives you a tremendous amount of flexibility and lets you start incorporating a lot of things that are out there. Folks, do you know with a little bit of sugar and yeast, you can make wine out of dandelions? It's pretty dadgone good. I mean it. Dandelion wine is some good stuff. All you need is the dandelion blossoms. Marigolds actually make a wonderful, beautiful little table wine. Now, you need a sugar, right? You need either to use mead and make it a, a, a you know, kind of a flavored mead, uh, or you need to do something like have a, a, a source of white sugar in your storage. Uh, but marigolds make wine. You know, how many people have no idea that that's the case? And they make a rather wonderful little table wine. Uh, so I think you should learn those skills. There's no reason not to. It's easy to do. It's perfectly legal. It'll give you greater independence if the shit hits the fan or if it doesn't. Every bottle of wine that you buy from the store puts money into the coffers of government through taxation. And there's multiple levels of taxes involved before you get there and after you leave, in addition to the tax you paid on the bottle. Every bottle of wine that you create for yourself out of your own production gives government nothing. It empowers you and disempowers government. That's what independence is really all about. That's what liberty is all about. And yes, it can start with the cork of a wine bottle, believe it or not. Next, learn to make some bread. All right, Barb Harrington talked about this. Learn to make some bread. Learn to make the good old-fashioned yeast-risen bread that you have to knead once, let it rise up, punch it down, let it rise up again, and bake it. Learn to make that kind of bread. But hell, you know what? Start out easy. Make my beer bread. I'm going to give you a recipe, super quick, super easy, how you could make a loaf of bread tonight. You need flour, sugar, salt, and a bottle of beer. Uh, if you don't like using beer because you have some big objection to it, uh, you can use soda water. Right, the seltzer water, something like that. But folks, even if you're not a drinker, use the beer in the beer bread, folks. It's going to be flavored only by the time you cook it. There ain't an ounce of alcohol left in it. So if you don't drink alcohol, it doesn't matter. Beer bread is not eating alcohol. So how do you make beer bread? Uh, you also need baking powder. I left that ingredient out. One of the really the things you really need to have if you want to have good results with your beer bread is a flour sifter. So you might have to go out to the store if you don't own a flour sifter and get a flour sifter. I like to sift my flour two times before I make my beer bread. You get a lot better result, just trust me with that. Most important thing is your baking powder. It must be fresh, and it is baking powder. It is not baking soda. Please make sure you're getting baking powder. All right, so here's what you need. Three cups of flour, one tablespoon of sugar, one teaspoon of salt, and one tablespoon of baking powder, and one bottle of beer. Mix it up. Don't mix it too heavily. Just get everything wet, put it into a, a loaf pan that's greased, and bake it for about 45 minutes to an hour. 
Uh, you might have to, with your oven, and you bake it about 350 degrees. And with your individual oven, it might be 45 minutes and done. It might be an hour and done. Just keep an eye on it. Don't let it burn. When it's golden brown and crispy on top, it's probably done. But you, if, if you cut it and it's a little bit too uh, moist inside yet, throw it back in. You'll figure it out in time, and you'll know how long to cook with your oven at 350 degrees. But it doesn't get any easier than that. My suggestion is your first loaf, use plain white flour, don't add anything to it, and then you'll get a baseline of what a good loaf is like and go from there. If you want to do whole wheat, whole wheat doesn't come out the best this way. So what I like to do if I want to do a whole wheat version, uh, two cups of white and one cup of whole wheat flour. That comes out pretty good. If you go much more than that, because you're not using yeast to create rice, you're getting more of a biscuit-like product, uh, you're not gonna, your, your, your whole wheat's gonna be a lot heavier. But you can add herbs, you can add nuts, you can add cheeses. This is a great base. And all you need is a bottle of beer and some flour and some baking powder and salt and sugar. It's as easy as it gets. You can have one loaf of homemade bread a week. It will change the way you look at store-bought bread. And I do suggest you learn how to make typical yeast-risen uh, dough uh, bread as well. But if nothing else, start this weekend. Make a loaf of beer bread. Put a little bit of butter on it. Sit down. Eat a bowl of soup with it. Trust me. Trust me. It'll change the way you look at food. Uh, the next little action item that I have for you, we're going to stick with food for a while. Learn to make biltong. Right? Forget all these plans online, folks, with these biltong boxes and dehydration chambers. All you need to make biltong is meat, salt, black pepper, coriander, a big string, and some uh, paper clips. Unbend your paper clips so they make a hook. Okay? Take your meat, mist it, or wet it down just very lightly with some apple cider vinegar. Coat it with salt. Use non-iodized salt. Coat it. Don't coat it thick. Just get some salt on the outside of all the meat. Mix it together. Coat it with black pepper and a little bit of coriander. Get some coriander everywhere, some black pepper everywhere. Not as thick as the salt. Put it in a tub. Stick it in your refrigerator. Okay? That's it. Let it sit overnight. Bring it out the next day. Get the salt in a salt shaker. Don't coat it. Sprinkle another coating of salt. Just kind of getting some salt on the outsides of it all. Mix it up again. If you like black pepper, add a little bit more black pepper now. Coriander, you probably have enough already. You don't need any more vinegar. You're ready to go. Take your string. Hang it up in a room that's air-conditioned or in the wintertime heated. Or if you live in a dry, arid climate, it doesn't even matter. And hang your meat from the string. Tie little loops to the string so the meat doesn't touch each other. Give it about a week. When you take it down and it's hard and you can bend it and it breaks, it is done. Uh, seal it up in Ziploc bags and it'll last longer than you will. And you'll learn, you can take a good piece of beef and do that with it. And you'll learn how to do that with wild game. And anything that's red meat, you can do it with. Don't do it with pork. Don't do it with chicken. All right? Deer meat makes wonderful biltong. I usually turn an entire deer a year into biltong. That's how much I really enjoy it. That's all you need. Again, forget these biltong boxes and light bulbs. I've been doing it for years. It works perfectly. Uh, I did a video on this for the Member Support Brigade. Those of you who are waiting for the video where I show you what the biltong looks like when it's done, um, I'll have to show you this season because I ate all the biltong before I made another video because uh, I'm addicted to this stuff. The best place to eat your biltong is under a, uh, a blanket with a small flashlight using light discipline so your friends don't find you and steal all your biltong. Uh, next one. 
Learn how to make one new meal a month from a storable, from storable and or fresh items. Okay? What I mean by storable is anything you can put in that seven gallon Rubbermaid tub. And what I mean by fresh is anything you can grow or acquire from a farmer's market or a neighbor. Learn to make one new meal a month that relies only on ingredients like that. Even if you use some other things. Okay? So even if you use, you know, Um, an item that you would have to go to the store to buy. As long as it's an optional item, if it just makes the food better today, that's okay. That's cool. But don't put yourself in a situation where you can't make that meal in the future relying solely on fresh items or stored items. Look, don't make this complicated. Don't make this a big production. Don't make this a Betty Crocker cookbook thing. Make this something you can whip out in 30 minutes or less. And it should hit the fan. You may not have a lot of time to cook. You may be under stress, especially in the initial stages. And besides, you want to give yourself more freedom and independence, and you need to be able to cook food quicker, easier, faster, and have your family enjoy it. So challenge yourself. Don't even worry about recipe books. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Think about meals you've had in the past. Look at the components of your storage and your fresh stuff and think of what you can put together. Teach yourself to make one new meal a month like that. And you'll go a long way toward giving yourself a lot of freedom back today and being prepared if something goes wrong tomorrow. Here's one I need to work on myself. Learn to use and grind wheat. Uh, get yourself a wheat grinder, a good quality grinder. Get uh, some whole wheat. Start grinding it up and start incorporating it into your diet. Um, we have a real stigma against wheat and flour in the United States. Let me tell you, folks, wheat's not the enemy. White flour is. Wheat is one of the most nutritious things in the world. A great book that can give you a lot of ways to use ground wheat is Making the Best of Basics. The new book should be out very, very soon. You can actually pre-order a copy from my website. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com. Click on book list, and the first book on the list is James Talmadge Stevens' new version of Making the Best of Basics. Uh, I have the last version of it. Tremendous amount of information on using whole wheat. And uh, this is one thing I need to do for myself. Right now, I'm not grinding and using whole wheat. I'm going to start doing that within the next 30 to 60 days. That's my commitment to you, and I'll tell you how it goes. Here's what I learned from James's book uh, that has to do with ants. And we talk about the ant and the grasshopper here a lot. So this was kind of symbiotic for me. If you take a little pile of white flour and set it next to an ant's bed, and you take a little uh, pile of wheat flour next to an ant bed, The ants will devour the wheat flour. They will see it as food and nutritious, and they will eat it, and they will consume it. They will stop their foraging until all of the wheat flour is gone. If you put the white flour there, they'll ignore it. They won't even pay attention to it. They won't see it as food. You really have to think about it. The ants are wiser than we are when it comes to what they're willing to eat and they're willing to feed to their families. So make the step. Get a wheat grinder. They're not that expensive. Get some whole wheat. It's dirt cheap. It's basically chicken feed, right? And start using and adding some whole wheat to your diet. It's inexpensive. It's filling. It's nutritious. And it stores forever, literally. It stores longer than we do. Let's put it that way. So it's a great thing to be adding to your food storage, and now is the time to learn to use and enjoy it, 
not after the shit hits the fan. The one thing with whole wheat that I'll warn you about, go easy at first. Your body's not used to it. It is a more complex digestive process. It takes a little bit of time to adjust. It makes sense to do maybe one meal a week incorporating whole wheat whole wheat for about a month, and then maybe you go to two, and then you can do what you want after that. I'm just giving you some advice. That advice comes from James Stevens. I figure he's been living on wheat for a long time. He uh, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to whole wheat. Uh, here's a completely different thing you can do. Go take a good firearms training class. If you're anywhere near where, um, where James Yeager provides training through Tactical Response, go take one of his classes. You can't find anything better than that, I promise you. But if you're in an area where you can't get to one of his classes, find a good firearms trainer in your area. So many people invest so much money in their guns, their ammunition, and their accessories. They invest nothing in being trained how to use them properly. Go get good quality firearm self-defense training. It is not something you want to be without if you ever need it. If you ever use it because you were in a situation where you were threatened in a day-to-day situation and you ever end up in a courtroom because of some DA that has his head up his ass and has a hard-on against gun owners, you know what? That training itself will help you justify your use of force. Because you've been trained to properly use force in any given situation, not just the little certification course that you have to take and the little bit of firing that you have to do to get your concealed carry permit. But I believe it's one of the most important things you can do if you're going to be a firearms owner, if you're going to rely on firearms for defense, if God forbid it ever comes to it, be trained beyond the basics, make the investment in yourself. That's the type, when people say an education is priceless, to me, that's the type of education that's priceless. Because it can very well save your life or the life of others if a situation ever comes around where it's required. The next thing I want to tell you, let's stick with firearms for a bit. Learn to reload. Learn to cast lead bullets. Start out learning to reload and casting bullets for one caliber. Go out and buy yourself a Lee Anniversary Kit. It's under a 100 bucks. That and a set of dies will allow you to reload anything that you could possibly want to reload. Set up a little single-stage press out of that kit. Start learning, teaching yourself. It comes with a book. The book tells you everything you need to know. Reloading is safe, easy to learn, and if you can work a calculator and do one simple calculation on your powder, if you can read a book and follow instructions, and if you have enough physical dexterity in your fingers to do the most basic things that there are, basically if you're competent to shoot a firearm, you are competent to learn to reload from the manual. Trust me, it ain't that hard. If you add casting bullets to it, and you stock up a good level of components, and lead is cheap, so you go out and buy, you know, 20, 30 pounds of lead, folks. You can be in business for a long time if we ever end up in an ammo shortage. It's easier to store components than it is to store live ammunition because you can have multiple calibers, you can have multiple cartridges, and you can have common components between them so that you load what you need as you need. It's a great hobby. It's a great pastime. It will be something that when you're doing it, you have to focus on it. You can't reload. Okay, especially when you first start and try to be listening to the radio and the TV at the same time. You have to focus, you have to make sure your measurements are right and everything that you're doing is right. It's good to have work in your life once in a while that requires your attention. It's centering, it helps you think, and that's as big a part of survivalism today is how you think is anything that you actually do. Here's another one. Go build a simple greenhouse. I don't care if it's a four foot by four foot structure made out of PVC pipe and clear painter's drop cloth. 
But having a simple little greenhouse as part of your homestead will allow you to grow food during times of the year when it's very difficult to grow food. It will allow you to protect and start your own seedlings. It's very difficult to actually get good results starting things like peppers and tomatoes and things like that in a windowsill. You can get them to sprout, but kind of getting them to that second level, you really have got to have a greenhouse. So consider building yourself a simple greenhouse. Um, it's something, again, that anybody can do with a little bit of creativity. If you're going to be moving soon, build yourself a nice little portable breakdown type greenhouse out of PVC. If you're going to be staying put, consider building that real structure. Put up a wood frame. Uh, there's a lot of different options when it comes to your different types of glazing and glass. I saw a guy that got real creative in an issue of Mother Earth News. He went to an auction. He found 38 glass doors. You know, the little cheap steel doors that sell for about a hundred bucks at like Home Depot. He found 38 of them. He got them for five dollars a piece. He built an entire greenhouse out of those doors. It looked really cool. And obviously it was very inexpensive for him to construct using that as a material. Get creative. Build a greenhouse that extends your growing season, increases your independence. The next one, either build or buy a solar oven. I bought my solar oven this year from Global Sun Ovens. It was expensive. It was worth every penny of it. I cook in it at least once a week. The last couple weeks I haven't because I've either been away or it's been raining. The sun's going to be out tomorrow. I'll be cooking probably chicken in my Global Sun Oven tomorrow. I won't spend a dime on electricity. The food comes out absolutely fantastic, wonderful. It's completely powered passively by the sun, and I can't burn the food. I can't ruin the food. All I can do is leave it in there too long to where it's kind of, well, it's overcooked. It's a little bit too soft. It's falling off the bone a little bit too much. That's as bad as it can get in there. I've made bread in my sun oven. I've made corn on the cob in my sun oven. I've even made hot dogs in my sun oven just for the hell of it. I took some hot dogs and a can of wolf chili, chopped up the hot dogs, threw them in a pot, heated that up. That only took about 25 minutes to heat up. That was really a cool, simple, quick meal uh, for the kids that were over swimming in the pool. Get a sun oven or build a sun oven. It's not that hard to build one. I went ahead and bought one because I wanted something that would last the rest of my life. And when I looked at that product, and they're not a sponsor or anything, I just knew But the way that it was constructed, I would never have to worry about it again. And I knew it would do the job. And I knew it had all the engineering features that I wanted, being able to tilt it to the direction of the sun and have uh, the pot stay level and things like that. So I made the investment. I'm not saying you need to go out and spend the 200 and something dollars on the sun oven. Build one. Uh, a guy that I met at a gun show here a while back gave me a great idea. He said, get an old cooler, cut a hole in the top, paint the inside black, put a piece of plexiglass over the hole, and build a reflector into it. It's perfectly insulated. Great idea. Uh, you can build them out of wood. I've seen them built out of cardboard. I've seen uh, reflector versions that are just a reflector that, that actually uh, get like a pot of water boiling faster. But a sun oven is a great investment. Not only will it cook for you day to day, but if you get in a situation where you need to, to uh, purify water, it's a great way to purify water. Uh, in fact, it's a very quick way uh, to purify water w without using uh, methods of filtration and without doing things like using up a fuel source. So you can take a pot of water, you stick it in there, you leave it in there till the water hits boiling temperature, which doesn't really take that long, folks, and uh, you have water that's now safe for drinking. So 
Day-to-day good, shit hit the fan good. Think about that. Next one is gain some basic construction skills. Maybe you want to build that greenhouse. You want to build that permanent greenhouse, but you don't know the first thing about how to frame out anything. Maybe you want to build one of those sheds like you see at Home Depot that cost four grand. You know you can get all the materials to build it for about 1800 bucks, but you don't know how to frame out. You don't know how to put up a roof truss, anything like that. Gain some construction skills. Go out and find some job sites where people are framing houses, even in the economy that are still out there. Volunteer. Find the form and say, look, I just want to learn about framing. I want to learn about putting up drywall. I want to learn about putting insulation in. I want, I want to learn. I'll work for free. I'll come here for three Saturdays when you're working Saturdays. Uh, I'll come after work. If you get off early and the construction crew works late, I'll do anything. I just want to learn. I don't want any money. You know, I'll sign a waiver that if I get hurt, I'm not going to sue you or your company. I just want to learn. That's a hard offer to turn down. You'll gain the skill. In a few months, you'll know more about construction than most people ever learn. And you can't buy that kind of an education. Who knows? It might even, if you are open to it, lead to a job at some point. Because that's the kind of person I would want to hire, honestly. Um, but gain the skills. It's not so much for a job or a career. It's so that you can use them for yourself. If you have a buddy or a friend that's in construction, ask them when you want to build a project, hey, let me give you a couple cases of beer. Come, I don't want you to do it for me. I want you to help me learn how to do it. I want you to show me how to do it. I want you to transfer the knowledge to me. Learn basic construction, how to build a deck, how to build a shed, how to build a greenhouse. These are skills that would be extremely valuable in a post-shit-hit-the-fan world, and they're extremely valuable to you. You know, one thing I can tell you, people that work in construction, when you go, and I'm talking building construction, when you go to their homes, they always have an amazing return of investment on their home because they do all types of things to improve their home, and they pay nothing for the labor other than their time. I'm just suggesting that you gain at least some portion of those skills for yourself. Here's a completely different angle. Start a blog or write a book. Start developing some intellectual capital. You could also do this and start filming videos about a subject you know and putting them on YouTube. Build a following. Build a brand. Do a podcast. Do something with your intellectual knowledge, your intellectual capacity. Document what you're doing. Tell your story. Your story is amazing. Every human being has an amazing story. Tell the story of your family. Tell the story of your family's history. Put it together. It might turn into a business for you. If not, it'll be the best form of therapy outside of a garden you've ever experienced. We'll put, if we had everybody out there doing something with their intellectual capability, documenting it, researching, exercising their mind, and growing some portion of their own food, there wouldn't be a psychologist or a psychiatrist in business today in America. That's how powerful that is. In addition to that, it may indeed turn into a source of revenue. It might turn into a little book that you go out and publish through a self-publisher like Lulu, and it might make you two or three thousand dollars a year. That's two or three thousand dollars a year you can invest into your life and into your efforts. You can do it with a blog. Do something with the knowledge you have. You're an expert at something. I don't care what you, you know, what kind of negative view you have of yourself. All an expert is is someone that knows more than most people about one thing. And I guarantee you there's one thing in your life that you know more about than most people do. So use it, harness it, and go with it. Don't doubt yourself on that. Trust me, it'll work out for you. Next, here's another mental conditioning exercise. Take a 15-minute walk each day alone. 
Right now, if you take a walk with your partner or a friend, that's great. Don't stop doing it, but find 15 more minutes in your day and take a walk. I don't care if it's around your neighborhood, in your backyard, at lunchtime, uh, taking a walk through stores, as long as you're not buying stuff and paying attention to the store. Just take a 15-minute walk a day and be alone with your own thoughts. Think about your life. Think about where you're going. Think about your motivation. Think about the things that you're doing to make your life better. Think about your challenges and how you're going to overcome them. Take that time to reprogram your brain. Folks, we do that. We get people storing their own food, growing their own food, being responsible for their own lives, taking a 15-minute walk every day, putting some use together with their intellectual capability. And I mean it. I'm not exaggerating. We literally will destroy the psychological and psychiatric industry in the United States. No one will need therapy or drugs anymore. This is why we have all these problems today, because people have lost touch with reality. They've lost touch with themselves. They've lost touch with each other. These are the things that you can do on your own right now to improve your life. No matter how times get tough, uh, no matter how easy times are, it won't matter. All you have to do is start making it about you, your life, your family, and your personal level of responsibility, capability, and ability. The last one, this is going to sound kind of, you know, motivational speaker, what have you, but it's not. Create your vision. And, and I don't mean this in this ethereal, I'm going to dream big way. Create your vision for your preps. Create your vision for your life. Create your vision for your disaster plan. See, this is the way we would do it if things went wrong. This is how I would keep my family safe. This is how I would keep myself safe. This is how it's going to improve my life today. What I'm saying is write your own plan. Write your own disaster plan. Write your own prep plan. Write your own gardening plan. Write your own permaculture plan. Write your own food storage plan. Make these plans. All I can give you is the dots. You have to choose how you connect them, in what order you connect them, and what color crayon you use to connect the dots with, folks. If I give you my plan perfectly, do this today, that tomorrow, this is the next day, save this much money, get at least a job with this much income, keep your payments here, buy only this, buy that, don't buy this. If I give you that plan, it'll last about 15 and a half seconds. Because it's not yours. You don't own it. You didn't create it. It doesn't matter to you. It's mine. My job on the Survival Podcast is to give you the tools that you need to write your own plan. When you write your own plan, you own your own plan. When you own your own plan, you have a sense of obligation to it. You have a sense of responsibility to it. And more importantly, you have a direct connection to the benefit that comes from it. That is so inherently important if you want to stick to it and if you want to make it work for yourself. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up today. I've just given you 20 things. I'm challenging you to pick some portion of them. Add them to your life and to what you're doing. I guarantee you it'll make a difference in the way that you're living today. And that's a great way to start living that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. And you can holler, it really doesn't matter, because it all gets spent.